guys can go ahead and head out. Hey, so 120 volunteers to pull that off. That is a ton of people. So thank you guys so much for serving. Um, especially grateful for all the people that did all the planning. Um, and for Leighton and Steve for bringing the energy. Um, those guys are great and definitely have energy I no longer have as an old man. So glad somebody else is doing it, not me. Um, so, and, and you know, my son, uh, Xavier, um, we adopted from Ethiopia. And so the first night of uh, Fuse, when he came home and he talked about the kids that carry, you know, water um, buckets to, to go down to, you know, unclean sources of water to bring back to their families. Um, and, I, and I'm assuming he just made this connection himself. He's like, he's like, if I was still in Ethiopia, maybe I would have been doing that. And I was just like, yeah, maybe you would, buddy. And um, so... Sometimes you wonder if some things are clicking and sticking with kids, and so it was really encouraging just to hear him be able to share that this week and to be learning some, some really important things. We killed just the spots just a tad bit there. So I know this is going to be really hard for you guys to believe. I mean, a real stretch for some of you, but I just turned 54 um, a few weeks ago. I know, just <gasps> audible gasp, yes. Um, but in my 54 years, I would say that probably the last four or so have been just some of the most disorienting years just to live through. I think probably not just for me, but probably for a lot of us, right? Riots in the streets and the COVID pandemic and political upheaval and distrust in the media. Many of the things that we held dear and that seemed to just make common sense are all of a sudden now kind of turned upside down and you're just kind of wondering what in the world this world's coming to at times. And then not to mention any, any personal things you might have had going on in your life while all this was going on, if you had health issues or lost a loved one or financial struggles or um, relational turmoil, all that stuff just kind of seemed really amplified, right, with this chaotic world kind of going on in the backdrop. And that's why this series, I think, is so critical for all of us, because knowing how to respond and engage with God when the inevitable seasons of disorientation come, it's just so important. And some of you, even today, would say that you are squarely in a season of turmoil right now. Just raise your hands if you're like, I know that's me. Like, I am squarely in a season of just disorientation in my current life. Yeah. How many of you know somebody who is? You know somebody in your life right now that's just in a season of disorientation. Yeah. So navigating these seasons or helping someone who is, it's a really critical skill just in our faith journey. So we're going to see what David has for us today. If you want to open your Bibles up to Psalm 143. 143, it's page 896. 896 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> We're going to start with the first two verses of Psalm 143. It says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. 
Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. So this again is a Psalm of David, uh, but there's really no specific event kind of attached to this plea. But again, we see this pattern of crying out and begging uh, God. And we talked a few weeks ago about how this uh, posture of kind of crying out to God might not come naturally for a lot of us. Um, it's not something that we probably normally do. In order to cry out to someone, we said, for help, we have to first recognize our own desperation. And sometimes that's kind of hard to admit. <laughs> we have to admit that our, our inability to solve the circumstances that we might be in at any given moment through our own strength, through our own wisdom through our own resources and so that's definitely a humble posture to cry out it's admitting that you're in over your head right and that God is the only one he's going to have to show up and take care of us so David evokes a couple of character qualities we see in those first verses that he knows are true of God he says God I know that you are faithful I know that you are righteous and so David is saying, basically, I just need you to be consistent with your nature. Be consistent with who I know you are. Okay? Does God's character shape our prayer life? Does God's character shape our prayer life? And what I mean by that is <clears throat> a lot of times in the morning when I pray, I try to have a, a portion of that prayer time. Basically, um, me telling God and reminding myself who he is. And I'm a journaler, so I'll, I'll write, you know, God, you're my protect protector, you're my provider, you're my strength, you're my hope, you're my joy, you're my comfort, right? I'm telling him, I'm reminding him as much as I'm telling myself of these things. So let me just ask you real quick this morning, who has he been to you recently? If you were going to say, God, you've been my what recently in your own life? Anybody wanted to share some examples? Who has God been to you recently? Oh, where'd that voice come from? Yes. Your hope. Okay, good. Other things. This doesn't have to be painful. It can really be quick here. Yes. Super. You're okay, good. So he's been her protector. What else? Yeah. To rest in. Okay. He's been your rest. Yeah. Yeah. Your friend. Okay. Awesome. Anything else? Okay, so we get the idea there. So David is, is saying, hey, because I know you are those things, because I know you are those things, come to my rescue. Do what I know you can do, because you've done it before, right? Oh, and while you're at it, verse 2, he says, don't treat me as my sins deserve. So basically he's saying, I know I can't stand before you asking these things based on my merit. Basically, David is saying, I know I don't deserve to be rescued because I'm good. But I'm trusting 
in your merciful goodness to come to my aid. And James 2.13 reminds us that mercy triumphs over judgment. <laughs> Thank God, right? And I love how David keeps the focus on himself and not his enemies or anyone else. He says, no one living is righteous before you. No one living is righteous before you, including me, he's saying. And that's such a humble posture when we want to blame other people for our circumstances, right? We have to check ourselves. Because I can guarantee you that you and I, we are going to be, at some point, we're going to be the sources of somebody else's disorientation. Did you hear that? You and I are going to be the source of somebody else's disorientation. Other people are going to be caught in the crossfires of our sin at some point. So stay humble. When you want to blame other people for what they're doing to you or putting you through. Keep in mind, it's going to be you one day. It's going to be me. And I think David is also saying, hey, I know some of the disorientation present in my life is on me. I've brought some of this on myself as well. So these seasons are always an opportunity. These seasons of disorientation are always an opportunity for us to kind of search our own hearts, to clean up our side of the street. Right? To pray a prayer like David prayed in Psalm 139. Where he said this, he said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, that's a good prayer to pray. See if there's any offensive way in me. And that posture might not be the total solution to your disorientation, but it sure is a good place to start because it's just something, it's something that we can control, right? I can't, I can't control sometimes the circumstances that are going on around me or what choices other people around me are making or whether they choose to lean in to, to God or to confess their sin or repent or make things right or any of that stuff. What I can control is me and my interaction with him. I've heard it called a ruthless self-inventory. You may have heard that phrase before. Not many people are willing to do that because it's just a whole lot easier to blame other people or systems for our problems. Look at verse 3. He says, the enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. So David says, the enemy pursues me. And we know from David's story, if you've read it in scripture, that he had actual human enemies pursuing him, um, trying to kill him on a couple different occasions. And some of us might have actual enemies sometimes, human enemies that we feel like are pursuing us, but we all have a spiritual enemy who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. So we're united in that. Satan, Satan's relentless pursuit 
of our hearts is ever present. And David describes the sense of soul misery that he's experiencing. He writes, he says, I'm getting crushed. My heart is just aching and tortured. He says, I'm dwelling in darkness. I can't see my way out of this pit that I'm in right now. I'm growing faint. My strength is zapped, and I don't know if I have the energy to keep fighting much longer. He says, my heart is dismayed. I'm losing hope that my circumstances are ever going to change. Can you feel that? It's like life just punched David in the face, and he's down on the mat, and the referee's standing over him, and he's counting. One, two, and David's kind of looking up at him like, man, I don't know. If I want to get up, I'm not sure I want to keep fighting. Sometimes we're in seasons of disorientation, and we don't even know why. Sometimes we're like, I don't get it. What, what did I do here? What have I done wrong? Sometimes we know that, that the world just brings the pain of disorientation to the doorsteps of our life. Right? We didn't ask for it through no fault of our own. Sometimes just the opposite is true. Sometimes we're doing exactly what God has asked us to do. We're actually being obedient to God. <laughs> and even that's disorienting. Right? I think about uh, Paul's life in particular. I mean, here's a guy who was called to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he faithfully does it town to town. He's telling people the good news, and time and again, he's getting beaten and flogged and thrown outside the city gates, left for dead, doing exactly what God asked him to do. When Satan was pursuing Jesus, he cried out something very similar to David. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus understands disorientation. He knows what it feels like to feel abandoned by God and cursed in life. He gets us. Look at verse 5. So after kind of describing this agony within him, he says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. So he says, I remember the days of long ago. And that's a tactic that we talked about in, in other sermons in this series of when things are kind of getting disoriented, we look back on our story and remember the things that God has done throughout our life, his faithfulness in the past. And in our own life, we can count, count our blessings, our answered prayers, the times when God miraculously showed up, miraculously showed up in your life. Sometimes when our, our own memory fails us, that's why we have this. 
right? We've got a whole catalog of stories of God's faithfulness to his people over thousands of years. And we can go back and we can recount other people's stories. We can remember the, the faithfulness of God to bring the Israelites out of slavery and through the Red Sea and into the promised land. We can remember how he provided us with a savior who lived and died and was resurrected on our behalf. So many acts of faithfulness throughout time. And both of those exercises, whether you're remembering God's faithfulness in your own story or maybe the faithfulness in friends or just through things in scripture, those things can bring solace to us. But they can also bring really needed perspective. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, when we see nothing new which can cheer us, let us think upon old things. We once had merry days, days of deliverance and joy and thanksgiving. Why not again? Why not again? A lot of you guys know that I'm a, I'm a coach and I sit down with my runners sometimes when, when they're struggling. And I talk to them and I say, hey, remember that really good race you ran just a couple weeks ago? Or remember the other day when you killed that workout? That was you who did that, right? Not somebody else. You did that. Why not again? I think you can do that again. Do you believe that? Again, posture is so important as we encounter God. And David is so vivid in his description of his interactions with God. He says, I meditate and consider. And those are, are postures that are describing deep thought. Not just kind of a, a passing or fleet moment of reflection. David is... You can just kind of imagine him as he's meditating with his eyes closed, just trying to picture those moments when God really showed up for him and trying to really feel what that was like, those times when God was faithful. One of the hardest things for us to do when our life is in a season of distress is to pause. To take a break from seeking advice or making plans or numbing or distracting ourselves from the pain. To have the ability to sit and be quiet and remember. And oftentimes, we honestly need, like, friends or mentors to kind of take us there on that journey. Because sometimes we can kind of just think, oh, if I'm just sitting there meditating stuff, I'm not doing anything about my problem. <laughs> Seems like a waste of time. Sometimes we need other people maybe who have a little bit more wisdom or maturity or a little bit more wits about them to kind of say, no, I think this is a good process for you right now. Or if we're just trying to numb or distract ourselves from the discomfort of our circumstances. <laughs> Meditating and considering forces us to deal with our hearts. 
right, when you're just busy trying to figure out how to dig yourself out of something, <clears throat> you can miss some of the inner work that needs to be happening in you in that moment. God's trying to use the situation to shape your character. And if you don't meditate and consider, you can just move right through that. You might even get through the other side of your problem and not really have learned much in the process. And the reason why we avoid it is because a lot of times we don't want to learn something <laughs> or deal with our hearts. You see, David was able to navigate multiple seasons of disorientation in his life and his leadership because he had the ability to pull back and to reflect and to remember God's goodness. And maybe most importantly, we see in verse 6 that David surrendered. It says that he came, came to God with open hands. He was desperate for God's intervention. He says, I thirst for you. You see, David's troubles didn't pull him away from God. They moved him towards God, desperate to be refreshed. So when you tend to experience disorientation in your life, do those times move you towards God or away from him? And why? When things are disturbing, like do you sense this spirit in you that's like, I need to lean in? Or do you sense this, I need to get away? Let's look at verse 7. It says, answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. So he says, answer me quickly, Lord, because I'm losing hope. And David just shows us in this that it's okay to let God know where we are and what we need. Right? It's okay to be honest. David wants to know that God is with him in this. God, as long as I can sense your presence in the midst of the darkness with me, I can hang on a little bit longer. Remind me that you're here. I want to show you the King James translation of verse 8 because I love the way that it communicates David's heart. This is what it says. It says, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift my soul unto thee. 
cause me to hear. Cause me to know. Help me. <laughs> right? Maybe you're speaking and I'm missing you somehow. That's a great prayer to pray in seasons or moments of disorientation. Lord, help me to hear you. Am I missing you? And then he says, let the morning bring me word. I can make it through one more night. But I need you to show up tomorrow. And do we come to him in his word to allow him to speak to us in the morning? You know, sometimes we're in seasons of disorientation and we're, we may even be praying and we really want God to speak to us, but we're not spending time in his word, like where it's got, you know, 66 books worth of potential answers for the problem you might be experiencing. And God is just like, man, crack it open. I've got some things for you there. I want to show you. Do we take that time and give God the opportunity to set our hearts and minds in a right space, especially when moments of disorientation kind of have a grip on us? We can run to a lot of other things. And, and he keeps talking about uh, God's unfailing love, right? Unfailing love, the Hebrew word there is hesed, and it means covenant loyalty. Covenant loyalty. Again, it's reminding God, man, you're with me, right? You're in this with me. You're committed to me. He says, show me the way I should go. Show me the way I should go. I don't know where I'm going. It's humility. I'm that person, guys, when, when I go to Walmart and I can't find something, I go looking for a worker, which sometimes at Walmart is like a needle in a haystack, right? Like, I'm sure people work here. I just can't find any right now, right? So I find one, then I say, I'm looking for this, and I can't find it. Can you show me where that is? And they'll be like, you know, look at me saying, oh, it's over on aisle 24. I'm like, I've been on aisle 24. I've wasted plenty of time on aisle 24 already. I want you to walk with me to aisle 24 and show me where this is, right? Ain't so proud to beg, right? It's like, help me out, man. Guys, that's just another great prayer for us. Lord, show me the way I should go. Help me to hear you. Show me. Where to go? And then he says, I entrust my life to you. I entrust my life to you. Man, that's a really healthy perspective in a season of disorientation, isn't it? To know he is trustworthy. Come what may. Not just if things work out the way we want. He's still trustworthy. Trustworthy because he said a Savior was coming to rescue us, and a Savior did come. A Savior who promised he would die and rise again, which he did. Do you trust him? 
verse 9, David shifts to rescue me. Pull me out of this mess. In the Lord's prayer, when the disciples said, Lord, how, how should we pray? One of the things he said is, pray, deliver us from the evil one. Right? Pray that I would do a work in your life to deliver you. It's who I am. David's saying, man, I've pushed all my chips in the center of the table. <laughs> I'm betting on you alone to rescue me. And we can do that because a rescuer is who God is. There's just a few verses up here that talk about that. In Galatians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Colossians, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then in 2 Timothy, for the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to its, his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? It's who he is. So is he going to rescue us from every problem we might encounter in life? Well, probably not. Has he rescued us from the most important problem that we face in this life? Absolutely. He rescued us from sin and death. And as long as that box is checked, man, that's the most important rescue that we could ever have, right? He's faithful. And so David has said in these last few verses, he says, answer me, show me, rescue me. And in verse 10, he says, teach me to do your will. And those first three are kind of immediate requests. I want you to do this right now. <laughs> but that last one, teach me, that's a process. Not a quick deliverance, but an ongoing relationship. Lord, I want to know you so I can know your will regardless of how long this suffering lasts. Do we pray fervently for character development like we do for deliverance? Let me say that again. Do we pray fervently for character development like we do for deliverance? That's a good question, isn't it? Are we desperate for God to shape and mold our hearts and minds despite how we feel, how disorienting our current life might be? So let me ask you, what character traits have you been praying that God would develop in you lately? Patience, okay, good, yeah, yeah, humility, good, peace, okay, 
sorry. Yes, good. Yeah, gratitude. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wisdom, good. Yeah, Phil. Resilience. Okay, it's good stuff. Guys, are we more concerned with Christ-likeness being developed in us or in life going the way we'd like it to go? Because that's going to shape your prayers. And I, I know it, that probably, that's probably shifted for me over the course of my life. As a young person, I probably kind of tried or at least thought that if I just do all the right things and check all the right boxes and make all the right decisions, that life will work out and go the way I want it to go and I'll generally be happy, content, fill in the blank, whatever. <laughs> and it took me a few years of doing that to realize that that's not how life works. <laughs> and so there's been this slow shift over the course of my life to being like, you know what, <laughs> there's always going to be something disorienting. What's more important is who am I in the midst of the disorientation? Am I reflecting Jesus even when things are kind of falling apart? Because they're going to again and again and again, this side of heaven, right? And so for me, it's pretty easy. Some of my flaws are out there. I've realized over the course of my life that I'm a lot of things. <laughs> kind and gentle, probably not two of the top ones on my list. And we all have our things, right? And so lately, you know, the last few years, I've just been praying consistently, God, make me more kind. Help me to be more gentle, more loving. I'm constantly praying for wisdom as a leader here. I want God to shape me. Teach me to do your will, God. And then he says, good spirit, lead me. David is kind of fighting to stay grounded here. Bring me to level ground. Steady me. He's like, I'm being tossed around right now by the events and the emotions that I'm feeling. Give me something firm to stand on. And that desire is a big reason why we've been reciting the Apostles' Creed this year. Right? We just did it this morning. We all stood up and together we said out loud, I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in the Son and his life, death, and resurrection, that he's coming back. I believe in the Spirit. Do we? <laughs> Does what we say we believe translate to greater trust when life gets hard? Or are those just words we mindlessly recite? In verse 11, he says, preserve my life. The King James Version says, revive me. <laughs> Bring me out of this trouble so your name will be glorified. And then David finishes with a little retribution. He says, oh, and silence and destroy my enemies, of course, you know. Uh, but I do want you guys to notice this. 
David did ask God to deal with his enemies. But before he did that, he said, God, deal with me. Deal with me. That's the opposite of a victim mentality. It's a humble realization that there's always something to be refined in us, regardless of who or what the source of disorientation in our life is. David said, show me, teach me, cause me to hear and know. And ultimately behind all of this is the most important posture that we can remember as pilgrims on a lifelong journey with God. Verse 10, for you are my God. And verse 12, and I am your servant. Not the other way around. Not I'm God and you're here to serve me. When life gets hard and our spirit grows faint under the weight of crushing darkness, David says we remember, we meditate, we consider the mighty acts of God in our life. And we come to our rescuer with open hands of surrender and we desperately beg him to answer us, to show us the way, to teach us your will and lead us to level ground. And those are postures and prayers of humility from someone who understands that he is our God and we are his servants. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great reminder today of how to engage you when the inevitable seasons of disorientation come in our life. As we've talked about, it's not even necessarily something that's a season. Sometimes it's just a, a moment that we encounter daily. We can wake up and everything seems right. And then something happens and it just kind of all starts to unravel. And I pray that our desire would be to be like David, to say, God, search me. Show me if there's any offensive way in me. Teach me, guide me. Show me, cause me to hear, make me more like you. Not only so I can get through moments of disorientation well and, and that you would be glorified in the midst of that, but the, so that I, said I can also come alongside other people who are struggling and I can really be a great mentor and friend and kind of showing them how to navigate these discerning, uh, disorienting moments of life. God, we live in a world right now that's just filled with the victim mentality that constantly cries out, it's somebody else's fault or this system's to blame or it's so reluctant to turn the mirror towards themselves. So God, I pray that you would help us to lead in that. I pray that you would help us as your followers, as people that bear your name and your image to be the humble ones who would begin with us and that in doing that we would find the grace and the mercy to, to just be a person of kindness to the world around us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.